Would you please uh, turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. And, you know, for those of you online, I want to just mention that uh, an encouragement to the choir and to the orchestra and to those that were involved in our patriotic musical a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, we have heard literally from coast to coast, from like North Carolina all the way here to California, about how much people were blessed uh, by that musical. Wasn't that a wonderful time here a couple of weeks ago? And, and we got word... You know, there's this church, Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho. I've talked to you about them before. How they were threatening, to, you know, they having to close their doors as a church. They couldn't afford a pastor. So what they've been doing for like the last almost a year is just like the hangar in Montana. They take our sermons here and then they show them the next Sunday at their church there in Idaho. And they've been able to keep their doors open because of that. And the church is thriving and doing great there in Arco, Idaho because of your ministry here and your faithfulness and your giving and your involvement in this ministry. Well, anyway, they emailed me this uh, past week. This morning, we shared the June 29th patriotic performance with our congregation. I just want to let you know how well it was received. If you could have only heard the applause, it brought tears to the eyes of one gentleman who was serving in Japan with the Army 65 years ago. Two Navy vets stood, and a family whose son is currently serving in the Army stood proudly during the Army anthem. It was a special treat. Please send our thanks to all the performers, including the young children who stole the hearts of all of us. So let's let our church family in Idaho know that we love and we appreciate um, we appreciate that. Well, now we continue. Now we continue with the story. And as Pastor Sham just mentioned, uh, for those of you that are visiting, there's a coupon that looks just like this in your gift bag. You take it to the Resource Center, you turn it in, and we would love to give you a free copy of the story, which has been sweeping the country, helping people to understand the Bible better. It is a Bible reading program, chronologically written by chapters, uh, so that it reads a little bit more like a novel. And people have found that have found the Bible difficult for years are just having their eyes open to the Bible. I've heard so many wonderful story after story about this. Now, we're involved now in the ministry of Jesus, and we'll continue that next Sunday, and we'd love to have you come back and join us as we continue to study the life of Jesus. Then the last Sunday in July, we're going to have a Good Friday in July. Remember, we had Christmas in June. We're going to have Good Friday in July, and then the first Sunday of August, we will have Easter Sunday in August. So Christmas in June, Good Friday in July, and uh, Easter in August as we continue through the story and then into the early church later on in August. The title of today's study is No Ordinary Man. The kingdom of God was the theme of Jesus' teaching and ministry. In three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom takes center stage being mentioned over 60 times. And by some people's count, depending on how you count it, uh, over 100 times the kingdom of God is mentioned or referred to. Now, a monarch or kingdom is hard for us who live in a democracy to appreciate or to align with. See, politically, we believe in a democracy. But politically, we do not believe in a democracy. We believe in a monarchy. Uh, spiritually, we don't believe in a democracy. We don't believe that morals are determined by what most people think is wrong and right. We don't believe that you just take a poll or whatever most people say is okay, is okay with God. Uh, we believe spiritually in a monarchy, even though in our country we may believe politically in a democracy. A monarchy is not medieval, it's biblical. 
I remember my dad growing up used to say that the best form of government would be a benevolent dictatorship. And it's really true, isn't it? I mean, if you had a benevolent dictator, that would be the best form of government. That's how things would get done. That's how the ball would be moved down the the field. The problem is there are no benevolent dictators. Uh, We all have human sin in our hearts, and no person with absolute power is going to do good uh, the majority of the time, or certainly not most or all of the time. But spiritually, we have a benevolent dictator. His name is Jesus. He is ultimately benevolent. He has our best interest at his heart. And so even though we don't believe in that, that's why we have a democracy, uh, with spiritual things, we believe in a benevolent dictatorship. We believe in a monarchy. We believe in following a king. A king created the universe, commanded a flood, led the Israelites to freedom, and awed foreign earthly kings like Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the Old Testament prophets predicted a coming kingdom led by a new kind of king, the Messiah. And here's one of those many prophecies in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous. They would have liked that, check. Victorious, certainly, double check. But what's the next word? You tell me. Lowly. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not the kind of king we're looking for. Righteous, okay. Victorious, definitely. But lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We believe this was fulfilled on Palm Sunday. Jesus Christ is that new lowly king, a Nazarene carpenter. Now, what they were looking for, the Jewish people, was a David or a Solomon. I remember Dr. Carl Tony, our New Testament scholar in residence, was up here a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we had what was called the Maccabees that threw off the, the rule of the Greek rulers. And for a short period of time before the Romans came, uh, the Greeks and, and Romans came and crushed them, uh, Jew, the Jews were able to rule themselves. And so that's what they were looking for. When they looked for a king, they were looking for a political leader to throw off the yoke of Rome, like David, like Solomon, like the Maccabees. And now Jesus comes along, and they wanted that earthly kingdom just for the Jewish people. And yet Jesus said, it's not just for the Jewish people. My kingdom is for the whole world. Uh, They wanted a kingdom of territory. And Jesus comes along and says, no, my kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. When people open up their heart and receive me as Lord and Savior, the kingdom advances one heart at a time. And then once we come to Christ, one loving action, one sharing of Christ, one loving word of encouragement, one act of mercy, at a time, the kingdom of God advances. Uh, The people wanted a kingdom that was all about them ruling. And Jesus instead says it's about everybody serving. So you can see where there was a real disconnect going on. Jesus would say kingdom of God. They'd be thinking for the Jews. He'd be thinking for the whole world. They'd be thinking territorial kingdom. They'd be thinking, he'd be thinking kingdom of the heart. They'd be thinking it's about ruling. He'd say it was about a serving. Remember James and John come to him and say, Jesus, we we want you to do something for us. Now right there, there's a problem. The kingdom of God is not about him doing something for us. It's about us serving him and serving others. And then Jesus says, well, what is it you have in mind? He says, well, when you come into your kingdom, could one of us sit on your right hand and one of you on the left hand? And Jesus says, do you know what you're asking? Because when he, they said, they said it this way, when you are glorified, 
And how, what did Jesus, what event was Jesus referring to when he says, I will be glorified? He's talking about the crucifixion. And here James and John say, hey, when you, they're thinking a throne, and he's thinking a cross. And they said, hey, when you get glorified, can one of us be on your right hand and one on the left? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, do you really? And they say, oh yeah, we, we can do that. And then the other disciples are indignant because they didn't think of the idea first of asking Jesus to be vice president and secretary of state in his kingdom. And he says, look, let me just tell you, if anybody wants to be first in the kingdom, he's got to be the servant of all. She's got to be the servant of all. And so he says, it's not about ruling, it's about serving. So for three years, Jesus spends three years reinterpreting the kingdom of God concept for the Jewish people. What on earth is God up to? God is up to a kingdom. And we see this in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for his kingdom to come. Now, Jesus taught about the kingdom And he was constantly reinterpreting the kingdom. And he did this by telling stories, which we refer to as parables. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the way the word that was sown in them. Remember last Sunday we studied that the word devil is from the Greek word diabolos, which means the divider. And so Satan is all about dividing us from God, dividing us from each other, dividing God's word, keeping it from our hearts. And so even now as I preach, uh, the Diabolos, the devil, and his minions, the demons, are seeking to keep the word of God from having been planted within our heart, to divide us from God's word. Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them, like the birds snatch it up from along the path. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, if you think that Jesus is all about what you get from him, then when trouble comes, we bail on him. That they were thinking of Jesus just as their savior, Uh, just as they're uh, freer from uh, political domination by the Romans. They they were into Jesus for what he could do for them. As long as he would feed the 5,000, he had big crowds. As soon as he started talking about, take up your cross and follow me. If anybody wants to really live, they've got to die. Then the crowds began to go down once again. They began to shrink. They began to desert him because they didn't understand that it was all about us serving him, not him serving us. I remember when I was in seminary in Massachusetts, I had a a friend by the name of Tom Saab, and he was going through a very tough divorce. And I remember him being angry at God and almost shaking his fist at my pastor at the time and saying, you know what, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this from God. And my pastor stopped him. He said, Tom, all you deserve from God is eternity in hell. Anything beyond that is the grace and mercy of God. I'll tell you what you deserve. And it was like, it it took him aback. And all of a sudden he had a paradigm shift that it is not about, God, this is what you owe me. 
It is about once he has saved us for eternity in hell and put us on the way to eternity in heaven, everything beyond that is the grace and mercy of God. Everything beyond that is icing on the cake. Everything beyond that is how can I serve him and how can I serve others? One of the least popular parables in all the Bible, you hardly ever hear it preached about, is where Jesus said that when you follow me, it's like a servant that comes in and they do all their work during the day and they do all their work at home and then they say, I am still an unprofitable servant. I'm still, even after all that, I'm an unprofitable servant. What does that mean? It means that a person thinks of themselves as totally under the lordship of Christ. And, and, and life is joyful when you live that way. If it's always all about, you know, God, what are you doing for me? What's in it for me, God? What, what, how are you going to come through for me? We spend our Christian lives bitter and resentful. But instead, we're like, I'm an unprofitable sinner. If you have, if you have saved me, from eternity in hell, if you have rescued me and pointed me towards heaven, everything else is by the grace of God. Everything else is icing on the cake. I will serve you expecting nothing in return, and that's when the greatest joy and the blessing comes. But you see, since they had no root, they didn't understand. They, they thought it was about what Jesus could do for them rather than how he, they could serve him. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of God's word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. What an insightful group of things Jesus mentions here. The worries of this life. I'm always amazed how so many people never think about eternal things because we're just consumed by the worries of this life. We're just living from bill to bill. We're, we're living from you know, moment to moment to get through this day of work and, and pay off this bill and, and get through this tough situation. And the worries of this life just choke out any ability to think beyond for eternity. And then he says the deceitfulness of wealth. We are deceived by thinking one more fun activity, one more great vacation, one more nice experience, one more uh, material item, one more pay raise, one more group of money, whatever that might be. Just, just one more thing. That's the deceitfulness of wealth, that just one more thing, I'll finally be satisfied. And so it keeps us from thinking about matters of eternity. And, and then the, the last set of things here, it says, and the desires for other things come and crowd out God's word. They choke the word, making it unfruitful. You know what the danger in the Christian life is? It's just too many good things going on in our lives. As you plan for this fall, be very, very careful that as you plan for you and your family, that there aren't so many good things that we never get around to the best things that we never think about eternity. We never invest in God's word. We, we never make sure that our family is investing God's word because our lives are so choked out by many good things. The enemy of the best is the good. And sometimes we've got to trim out some, some weeds of very good things. It doesn't say they're bad things. It's just too many good things can keep us from the ultimate thing. And so Jesus says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, however, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times. 
that was sown. We want to be that kind of soil, don't we? Everybody said, amen. Absolutely. Jesus' kingdom weapons are not armies with swords, but farmers with seeds. His kingdom is not advanced at the point of a sword or a Kalashnikov rifle or a detonated bomb. His territory, his kingdom, is not a weapon of an army with a sword, but a farmer with seed. That's how the kingdom of God advances. Now, three out of four people will not receive the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean 75%. It just means that three of the four types of people Jesus talked about do not receive the kingdom. Only one out of the four actually receives it. The kingdom means God the king is here within our reach. Now, three principles of the kingdom of God are, first of all, the kingdom of God is a great treasure like a huge expensive pearl. And these parables where Jesus is reinterpreting the kingdom will often begin with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. And then he'd tell a story. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, a guy just stumbles upon this treasure, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. A merchant looking for fine pearls, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Now, my poor wife, Kimberly, uh, she's here at 945. Normally, she's at the 1111 service, but she's here at 945 today. And my poor wife, over 30 years, she has probably heard me do this illustration a dozen times. Because about 30 years ago, I read this little book called Disciple by Juan Carlos Ortiz. And this thing to me just captured what the Christian life, the paradigm shift, it's not about what we get, it's about being under the lordship of Christ. And he's a wonderful pastor for many years. He's like in his 80s now, but he was a wonderful, in his youth, he was a wonderful pastor in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina. So in honor of Argentina being in the World Cup, I will read from an Argentinian right now. And he wrote this little book called Disciple, and he wrote it about this parable of the, of the pearl of great price. You've, if you've been around for a while, you know every couple of years I read this. When we find Jesus, it costs us everything. He has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity, everything. So we say, I want this pearl. How much is it? Well, the seller says it's very expensive. But how much, we ask? Well, a very large amount. Do you think I could buy it? Oh, of course, everyone can buy it. But didn't you say it was very expensive? Well, yes. How much is it? Everything you have says the seller. We make up our minds. All right, I'll buy it, we say. Well, what do you have? He wants to know. Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, $10,000. What else? That's all. That's all I have. Nothing more? Well, I've got a few dollars here in my pocket. Well, how much? We start digging. Well, let's see. 30, 40, 60, 80, 100, $120. That's fine. What else do you have? Well, nothing. That's all. Where do you live? He's still probing. In my house. Yes, I have a house. The house too then, he writes that down. I mean, now I've got to live in my RV. You have an RV? <laughs> that too. What else? Now I'll have to sleep in my car. You have a car? Two of them. Both become mine. Both cars. What else? Well, you already have my money, my home, my RV, my cars. What more do you want? Are you alone in this world? No, I have a wife and two children. Oh yes, your wife and children. What else? I have nothing left. I'm left alone now. Suddenly the seller exclaims, oh, I almost forgot. You yourself too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you too. Then he goes on. Now listen. 
I will allow you to use all these things for the time being. But don't forget that they are mine just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up because now I am the owner. That's how it is when you're under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought that pearl of great price. Number two, the kingdom of God operates with energies we do not understand or control. Uh, He said also, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Isn't that an amazing thing? You throw the seed out, and on its own, without any effort, while you're sleeping, it sprouts and it grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. He says that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. It's miraculous how God's word multiplies. It's miraculous how the kingdom grows. We see that in the first century. It's considered the great miracle of history. How this little persecuted group of 11 men beaten down, their leader executed by the Roman government, how they went out and conquered the Roman Empire, how the the word spread, how it exploded, despite the fact it was illegal. It was persecuted. This little ostracized group of people took the world by storm until it's the biggest movement in the history of the world and continues to be the fastest growing movement in world history today. How does that happened. We have a contemporary miracle. With the 1949, with the communist revolution in China, all the missionaries kicked out, all of them sent home, all the Christians had to go into hiding underground, and many people thought, well, that's it. That's, that's the end of Christianity in China. And now all of a sudden we discover that like that, that seed that goes under the ground, all of a sudden some estimate as many as 100 million followers of Jesus. I just read something the other day that said within a few years there might be more Chinese Christians than any other national group in all the world. How did that happen? Jesus said it's a mystery, but the kingdom has energies that we don't understand and we don't control. And here we get to be a part of this with China and Pomona. We get to cooperate with what God is doing in that great rising nation as as a superpower. We get to be a part of the, the leaders, the future leaders of that country. You know, next week, even if you're not able to, to take a student, you know, just as you see the students around campus, smile at them. Let let them feel the love. Let that be contagious. Every time you run into one of the students, just just pour love into them. Let them come to this place and to sense the love of Jesus uh, in this place over the next couple of weeks uh, starting on Friday. And then thirdly, the kingdom of God is a worry-free, anxiety-free realm. Now this next passage I very much need personally this next week because this week, next week for the first time, I'm going to be the father of the bride. Now, I've been a father of a groom twice. I've been father of the groom twice. This ain't nothing like that. <laughs> father of the groom, you basically just show up. You write it in your day timer, just, just show up. That's what, it, that's what it entails. So the father of the groom. This is a whole different ball game, okay? This is a whole different ball game. 
um, you know, uh, Kimberly and I, we get our guidelines from our daughter and we do all of our duties and then we say we are unprofitable servants. We are merely doing what we have been commanded to do. And uh, it's going to be cool. I, I, I got a picture. This is a legitimate picture. It's not Photoshop. This is, I uh, saw this on CNN, you know, you know, website. This is a legitimate, this is a picture of what my life, Kimberly, my life is going to be like this next week. Have you seen this online? This is a photo bomb by, look, there's in the background. It's a tornado. Okay. This couple, they were just taking wedding shots. I don't know what state, but I'm assuming it's a Midwestern state. And they were just taking pictures of this couple for their wedding. And all of a sudden, a tornado touches down in the background. This is a picture of Kimberly in my life during the next week. Right there. There, there it is. Uh, or for Southern Californians, uh, this is maybe a better picture. Here's a couple. This is in Bend, Oregon, and they had their picture taken, their wedding photos, in front of this wildfire. It reminds me of Jessica and Chris camping. Jessica plays in the orchestra here, and Chris is in the media ministry. And I did their wedding at Sierra Madre Congregational Church a number of years back. And I remember just being totally freaked out because we're going to the church, and all the hills are on fire behind the church, the Pasadena fire out there from a few years back. And it was just like this. We're going to the church, and all the hills are on uh, fire uh, behind us. But Jesus said, therefore, I tell you do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will fall into place. All these things will be given to you as well. Now, the way the kingdom of God advances is one heart at a time. And maybe you're here this morning, and you are ready for Jesus to be the king of your heart. It's like there's a throne in your heart. And right now, maybe you're sitting on that throne. You're calling the shots. And what the Bible calls us is repentance. It's where we take ourselves off the throne of our heart and we put Jesus on that throne as well. We make him not just our Savior, but our Lord and our King as well. Now, how do you do this? Uh, I've done this, we've done this a hundred times, I know. But one more time, would you please turn to the back of your program? Would everybody just kind of flip it over, okay? And on the back, it says, how to become a follower of Jesus. Or another way we could put it is, how do you make Jesus the king of your heart and of your life? The first step is to admit our condition before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have done wrong, and so we need a Savior. We need forgiveness. So, we, Secondly, we believe that Jesus is God's solution to that sin condition. The Bible says, for the wages, the result of sin is spiritual death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or you could see our, our King, Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord. And so we choose to follow Christ as our Savior, our Lord, and as our King. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but they have crossed over from death to life. And this could be your moment right now. It's not an accident that you're here 
on this Sunday morning, uh, July 13th, 2014. This could be your divine appointment to open your heart and put Jesus on the throne of your heart as the king of your life. And that's how the kingdom of God advances, one heart at a time. And so I invite you to pray silently uh, this prayer as I pray out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my King. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we've got a gift we'd love to give you. Uh, to encourage you in your walk with God. It's called Unwrap Your Gift. It's at those two guest tables that Pastor Sean was talking about, one on the south end of the lobby, one on the north end of the lobby. And uh, just love to have you pick that up. There's no obligation whatsoever. There's a person there. If you'd like to talk to somebody, there's a person there to talk to. But if not, just drop by, grab one of these as a free gift from our church to you to help you with these resources in your new walk uh, with Jesus. Now, before we close, I want to close with one more um, clip. And, and it has to do with once we commit our lives to Christ, now how do we on a day-by-day basis continue to advance the kingdom of God? And we do it. Everything we do now has purpose. Everything we do has significance and meaning. Once Jesus is, is your king, you become an ambassador for the king. How awesome is that? All of a sudden, your life is just pregnant with meaning and purpose and significance. All of a sudden, days are not mundane. Every day is an adventure because you serve as an ambassador of the king, advancing his kingdom one loving act at a time, one act of mercy at a time, one sharing of Jesus at a time, one word of encouragement at a time, one encounter at a time. Every day is filled with these opportunities for you as an ambassador of the king to advance the kingdom of God. For our benediction, I want us to do the Lord's Prayer because we pray, thy kingdom come, as part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So let's uh, pray out loud the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.